Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday YouTube channel. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This channel is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 168, I am joined by Mark Walsh, also known as Mr. Embodiment. Mark has dedicated his life to embodied learning. He founded the Embodied Facilitator course, Embodied Yoga Principles, and yoga's first embodied business training company, Integration Training. He's taught in 50 countries and made embodiment available through a YouTube channel with over 14 million hits. More recently, he founded the Embodiment Podcast and in 2018 launched the groundbreaking Embodiment Conference, which was attended by over 15,000 people. Since recording this podcast, Mark has taken it upon himself to head to Ukraine with vital medical supplies and to train trauma and resilience trainers on the ground in Lviv. You can contribute to that fundraiser using the link in the show notes. This is episode 168 with Mark Walsh. Mark, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Enjoying Madeira. Uh, did my morning meditation. Business is going well today. Off to a good start. So um, yeah, pretty good. I think we had a chat about that in the uh, before you came on, and I think I just gave you a two-word response when you said the word Madeira. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I've just, you know, I, 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 I've spent my whole life supporting people to do practices to help their embodiment. And what I've realized is it's really the pillars would be like practices, like sure, what we do, like our meditation, our yoga, whatever, but also where we are and who we're with. Mm. And are we, they're, they're the ones that maybe people can change less, though I'm noticing with online working, people are making more conscious choices about like, mm. where am I living? And, and it's not a level playing field. We know people have kids and the other jobs, but um, it's for me, certainly I notice I'm more relaxed, better regulated, and frankly, just bloody happier. Uh, in warmer in warmer countries in the winter so well, i'm happy that you're happy i'm happy that you're happy <laughs> <laughs> almost almost uh on the uh, on the end of your promotional video recently you invite your audience to consider that they make the 20s the year the decade of embodiment the decade hasn't started to, terribly well as it i guess for the first two years of what's gone on in the world but how can we salvage the 20s and, and make it the embodiment decade well has it started badly mm -hmm. let's i like to question things um mm. obviously for some people there's been huge tragedy so i don't want to you know acknowledge mm. that but i think the world has woken up in some senses to the importance of co-regulation mm. so the idea that we keep each other calm happy sane you know we outsource our sanity to each other basically <laughs> and um you know we're social animals and uh, ideas of trauma of stress of human connection of touch um, you know, the importance of everything from seeing each other's faces to kids being out playing school to mm. our annual holidays, you know, a lot of things have been disrupted. And while this, you know, again, acknowledging some serious tragedy there, I think it also underlines some things that may have been implicit that people may not have realized. And if there was a bad thing, I think it just sped up the root of society anyway, which is towards disconnection from self, mm. um, increasing sort of consumerism, isolation, tech use in an unhealthy way it's really just sped up a lot of things that needed to be made highlighted as perhaps pathological anyway 
Um, so in terms of that, I think there could be a positive there. Like, I don't want to be too Pollyanna-ish around you know, no, I love sil- it. silver yeah, linings. Great, great so. challenge because, you know, I reflect on my own, you know, the things that you said there, I, uh, I tended to have pursued the opposite, which was more nature, less mm-hmm. tech, more time with family. And it was a great, you know, visual reminder for me, you know, what, what kind of matters and what made, what made a difference to my soul and spirit, I guess. Yeah, I know you're interested in sort of values and purpose. And we've mm. seen, you know, a lot of people leaving their jobs going, hey, do I really want to do this? Mm. Or, hey, do I really want to live in this country when I can work online? Or actually, I really enjoyed spending time with my kids. Or mm. some people, they won't say it out loud. Oh, my God, I have to look after my own kids. What a disaster. <laughs> um, or, you know, do I want to work on my health as something important? You know, I, I spent a lot of time walking around the park, just getting to know the park near my house the last year or two. Um, to not even traveling abroad, but just in my local neighborhood. So, you know, is it important that I know my neighbors? Because when the shit hits the fan, maybe it is, mm-hmm. right? Like in terms of community, so nature, community, um, obviously breath is important, is central to all the work I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has been highlighted as a thing, if nothing else. The, the work of people like Sadhguru and that Eastern influence have, have really helped me shape what I mean by the phrase always better than yesterday. And, you know, five, 10 years ago, maybe even as recent as three, maybe four years ago, that would have been a striving. That would have been a, an intellectual striving to be better. And it was almost like the cost of entry. Whereas now I, I, I have the heart set that, that actually being better than yesterday is, is the result of, you could say, embodying this state of love this spirit and state of love for myself, for my work and, 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 and how I express that through the way that I lead others. And what does that kind of resonate with you? How does that speak? Lots there. I like mm. you to talk about heart set rather than mindset. Mm. Um, you know, in several Eastern languages, heart and body, you know, usually given the same word or even mind, body, heart. So sort of mindfulness could be translated as bodyfulness or heartfulness, for example, mm. from several of the sort of, Pali classic languages that are used um I think there is this tension isn't there between yin and yang between striving mm. like hey I'm you know I'm getting up in the dark I did a cold plunge I'm getting my ass on the cushion to meditate you know it's like I'm making you know doing my Wim Hof breathing this morning these are some of my practices for you know embodiment health well-being and um and then there's also the the idea of just being like being in the Mediterranean eases me slightly more into that uh, technically not the Mediterranean Madeira but Mediterranean culture eases me slightly into that um it's okay you know I taught a session on goals yesterday I know you've had this you talk about this in the podcast recently and it, it's interesting because from a certain sort of enlightened you know eastern point of view if you will why, why go anywhere why do anything and, and I think that balance you know if we're all goals then you're never happy and if you're all happy you're never meeting any goals. <laughs> so like, you know, you're never making the world a better place because you're quite happy accepting however it is. Mm. Uh, and I think the tension in our own being, embodiment, my field concerns being, our own way of being, is really all about that. So when I did this session on goals for my mentees last night, instead of being like, what do you want? The first thing is like, okay, where are you coming from? Are you always wanting something? Are you always unsatisfied? Are you a bit mm. easily satisfied? Do you have a trauma response around that? You know, there's so many elements we looked at just personally before we asked people cognitively what are their goals mm-hmm. as if that was coming from a 
neutral blank because that, that's the naive view of without embodiment right people are looking at like hey my mind is just clear and logical and i'm unbiased perceiving and my emotions are a appropriate reaction to what's happening and none of those things are true because it's all happening in this substrate it's all happening in this um we could say context of the body Hey, my friends, hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this summer, the Always Better Than Yesterday community turns five. On Saturday, the 25th of June, 2022, we're going to be hosting an event down here in Trowbridge in the southwest of England, where we're going to bring together like-hearted human beings with a little bit of inspiration, a whole lot of connection, and we're going to be celebrating this journey that we've all been on over the last five years. We have three guest speakers lined up. We'll be joined by Matt Hill, Esther McCann and Tommy Gentleman. We'll have welcome drinks provided by our sponsor, Elevate Online Marketing, and we'll have food provided by Valicious. And after we've had some speakers, we've had some food and some welcome drinks, we will then start the party. We will have some music. We are going to have a live band performing live for us for the very, very first time. You can get your tickets now. Tickets are on sale. They are £20 per person. They will include your welcome drink and your evening meal. So go grab your tickets now in the show notes and let's get back to the interview. Where does the journey begin for you? You obviously don't become Mr. Embodiment overnight. Where did where did your journey start? <laughs> um, genius and failure. So, um, you know, pretty unhappy child in an alcoholic dad difficult childhood in many ways mm. didn't really want to be in my own body and my own emotions mm. and um so sort of disconnection from the body and then you know my own addiction issues my own unhappiness and going oh but being very clever cognitively so i sometimes say my childhood is a microcosm of the western world particularly now you know stressful traumatizing um but simultaneously super academic and i was you know full of surrounded by books my parents were teachers so I was surrounded by books and thinking the books, I just had to get more knowledge to be well, to be happy, mm. um, to be competent with, you know, relationships as that came in my teenage years. <laughs> and finding out I was deeply incompetent, at happiness, well-being, relationships, yep. later on leadership, you know, I thought I'm smart, I should be a good leader, you know, no, <laughs> um, this as you know, right, is more to it than cognitive knowledge, and realizing that there was a whole world that I hadn't been introduced to. And uh, I studied starting the, the martial arts at age 18, mm -hmm. yoga at 16, but at 18, the martial arts really jumped out on me. And um, I went, oh, there's more. And there's a whole field of we could call somatic education or embodied education that I hadn't been exposed to. And I was like, oh, I thought I was really clever. And in fact, I'm clever in this very slim slice of what it is to be human. And then I realized I had a lot of work to do. And I sort of been doing that work ever since, you know, and forgot to stop and accidentally became a sort of leader in the field without meaning to. So yeah, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. You just said some really intriguing words around what it means to be human. How do you summarize that? How do you get your heart and your mind around that concept of what it means to be human? Just that as a question, right? <laughs> Mark, what does it mean to be human? Let's go. Um, uh, so I would, yeah, I would, see, we can talk about that philosophically, right? Or poetically, or just shoot the shit. And that's great. And that's worth doing. I usually break it down for, um, I work a lot with coaches, I used to work a lot with business people, still do to some extent. 
I've worked, I've deliberately worked with every group I could find. So soldiers, you know, I met my wife in the Ukraine working with soldiers there and therapists there, the war, which is probably going to heat up now. Anyway, so what I find most useful is not philosophy, but skills. So um, I developed a skills-based model of embodiment because it all, a lot of what I was studying was a bit esoteric, a bit hippie, mm. a bit Eastern. And I went, okay, but what are we actually getting better at? Mm. And um, I broke, broke it down into, um, inspired by Daniel Goldman's emotional intelligence model, broke it down into kind of eight skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can look at any practice, mm. big word for all embodiment people practice, because yeah. you learn cognitively from books or websites, but you learn skills through practice. Um, and there's practice skills and practice-based model I find is the most helpful because it's mm. very pragmatic mm-hmm. and we, we can look at someone and say, okay, you know, Ryan, you know, what do you do already? What are you good at? All right. What are some of the problems in your life? Okay. So it might be that these skills are missing. All right. What's how busy are you? What do you like doing? Let's, let's find some ways to build some skills in those, those areas mm. that are missing. Yeah. That's powerful. I, um, I've come to the, the kind of, I don't like to oversimplify stuff or maybe I do I don't know but I've come to look at the animal kingdom and think okay what separates human beings and how am I different from my dog who is permanently present permanently happy permanently (laughs) wagging their tail And and I've come to realize that it's this that makes us human but it's our ability to choose our response because our animal kingdom friends will just react they will just chimp response they'll react to whatever happens we have this thing called consciousness which means that we get to choose a different response choose a better response that hopefully leads to better outcomes better relationships um and and i think what it means to be human is the difference between our chimp response Mm. and our chosen response yeah so i talk a lot about awareness and choice as the two main things that i offer um, and in the leadership context, it's sort of, you know, empathy and influence in the self context, it's awareness and choice. There's mm-hmm. kind of a little two by two there of awareness and choice, self and other. And, you know, dogs are unconsciously embodied in that they have a certain way of being, right? Like a, a golden retriever is not the same as a pit bull. It's not the same as an Alsatian, you know, they have an unconscious set of characteristics, which mm-hmm. are um, in their posture, their breathing, their movement, their musculature. Um, but there's, because there isn't a conscious awareness, there isn't the ability to choose something different. Mm. And honest, honestly, most people are like dogs, right? So most people are mm-hmm. um, lovable, but also and the, the analogy holds, you know, you can still pet them, um, lovable, but really not aware enough of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, like a lot at the moment, I'm seeing a lot of people who are irritable, run down, um, cut off and they're not really aware of it because the, the problem with numbing is it numbs you <laughs> mm. right so so not only does it make you less kind less smart less useful of parenting mm. leading whatever but it also makes you less aware of that so there's a vicious cycle yeah. um so yeah we become more and more dog-like in the sense of reactivity not in the sense of lovable sadly yeah. um and then that ability to interrupt that and change state and trait so this is the sort of three dimension to the two by two I just explained would be you can be aware of state which is mindfulness and you can change state so I could do uh, breathing exercise or you know I change my clothes before this interview and that helps me change state there's lots of yeah. ways to change state I went for a walk this morning to wake up to change state jumped in the cold pool um, and then trait this is takes time mm. so most 
people don't have any concept of that. The nearest would be something like um, character development. We have to use the sort of Victorian language, you know, um, the Greeks had a concept of it and you know, the Victorians actually had a concept and the, and the Japanese definitely have a concept of it. You know, if you ask a Japanese what they're teaching their kids in school when they do kendo, mm -hmm. they're not, it's not fitness. Mm -hmm. they're, they're teaching them to be a better Japanese. They're teaching mm -hmm. them character development mm -hmm. according to their own values. Um, so this idea of sort of the development of self or character development as well as state shifting those two levels are where we can be different. I don't think a dog can be like, hey, I'm angry. I don't want to be angry. And a dog definitely can't say, you know what? I'd like to be more golden retriever-like next year. <laughs> so um, yeah, this is this is what I help people with and help coaches help people with. It's very, it's very surface level when we talk about dogs, but it's such deep and profound meanings and implications. And, and I'm really interested that you said that you're awful, you know, intellect and not awful intellect, but you you suffered with with leadership and yet you've gone on to build this wonderful organization that helps a lot of people you, you create conferences that have you know hundreds thousands of people attend and you must have done something right within your leadership development journey can you put your finger on it you know it's i'll be i'll be uncharacteristically humble about this i found it difficult leadership honestly leadership is just humbling like um there's been different levels of it. So, you know, from leading kids like keto classes, a lot of working with kids really helped me a lot because kids give you very honest feedback about your leadership. They just stop paying attention. Um, <laughs> they're not trying to be polite. You know, I've worked with about 50,000 kids in about 20 countries. That really helped me with my leadership. Like yeah. if, if you weren't engaging, if you didn't have both the warmth and the power, the yin and the yang, you have to be like, right, stop. And you also have to be like, hey, you're safe. Come here. I love you. Mm, right. Mm, like, mm. Give, give Mark a hug kind of thing, you know, and you, you need both of those yin and yangs with kids. And it's immediate feedback. Like the problem with most of life is the feedback loop is too long. By the time you're divorced, you don't realize what you've done wrong. You mm. know, um, by the time your boss fires you, you don't quite, you, you're not getting that feedback quick enough. Whereas martial arts, quick feedback, kids, quick feedback, comedy, quick feedback. Mm. Um, so those things helped. Um, certainly with kids and then huge step up just over a year ago we did this thing called the embodiment conference um, I'd been running a little company a few employees pretty good at leading groups you know done a lot of group probably 10,000 hours of group work um, but then we led this event half a million people signed up and it was just the biggest thing I think it's the biggest Zoom event there's ever been we contacted Guinness but they wanted lots of money but we think it's a record and um, that was a huge step up and again I was just humbled and as a manager, you know, even as like, I have so much respect for anyone who even runs a small company, yeah. five, 10, 20 employees like I do. That's tough. And now I'm so sympathetic when I see like, well, because I was in charge of Luxembourg for a few weeks, basically, mm -hmm. right? Like <laughs> this Luxembourg's about the same number of people. And there's that conference and it was, it broke me. And even with all my skills and techniques, it was just rough. And so I've got loads of sympathy now for like, you know, everyone, any, if anyone has a go at Boris or Biden, or whoever, I'm like, you don't know, man. Like you would not want to be that guy. So um, I don't know if I'm any good at leadership. I'm becoming competent mm. at the lowest level, perhaps. Yeah, I appreciate those reflections. And uh, I'd just love to know from, from your perspective, you know your own way of being this this sense of embodiment that you now display was that a 
self-discovery or was that informed by those that inspired you how, how would you kind of describe that uh, well I've got my influences my mentor yeah. Paul Linden probably being the biggest one who worked in abuse recovery it's just kind of coming towards retirement now he has Parkinson's now sadly um Paul Linden other mentors in the field you know there's a whole I mean the body of work goes back to sort of shamanic prehistory certainly the Asian arts but there's western mm -hmm. arts there's like body therapy coming out of Jung, coming out of Reich, uh, my teachers who followed traditions of improv comedy, of yoga, of conscious dance. So I have all my influences. They're the, the main areas in the field. Um, I'm probably an integrator. So I'd say if I have a talent, it would be how they all fit together. Because mm -hmm. I, I did a lot of Aikido, for example, then I realized that Aikido was good some ways, but not other ways. And you know, you go to tango, having been in Aikido, and all of a sudden there's a whole nother, you know, it's like women in fabulous shoes and music. And, you know, it's an entirely different uh, cup of tea. So I think trying to fit them all together has been a part of it. And there is the self-discovery part of that. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Ryan. Am I hitting the mark here? Or... Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. Is, is the practice that you now do on a daily basis to oh. get yourself in that state, is, is that something uh, i guess the point i'm getting at is that in my own journey mm. obviously i can read books like the 5am miracle morning and all these mm. sorts of mm. things but i have to try those things i have mm -hmm. to figure out what gives me energy what takes it away and i learn by the process of doing what lights me up what gives me energy what enables me to be at my best and just love to know some of the things that that you tried along the way yeah yeah i mean i've i've i think it changes along the way and the other thing is you get quicker feedback from state than trait changing mm -hmm. right like i've i mean place changes your sort of longer term state because they're an in-between thing like disposition like i talked to one of my employees today he's like oh you've been a lot nicer the last month i've been like yeah <laughs> i've been in madeira you know yeah. um or like after a year of doing aikido or tango someone says hey you seem different you know yeah. um i follow according to interest necessity and opportunity mm -hmm. so this i think i got this from shinzen young as a meditation teacher where i kind of independently found it too so at the moment i'm really enjoying weight training i'm just really enjoying it and there's a gym near my house and there isn't that much other stuff on the island so that's both opportunity and interest and necessity would be like okay what do i want to develop so maybe, you know, I do some sort of more yin, soft, kind of, we could say feminine or water practices, because I've had feedback that would be really helpful for me. So I go to a gaga class, for example, which is a, a kind of dance. Now, I'm lucky because I have a wide variety of experiences. I know all the best teachers, you know, I've had them on my podcast or on a conference. So I'm pretty lucky with who I've been able to be exposed to and who, you know, I'm picky with teachers, but also I mentor people this way. So I recommend practices to students i offer them online classes they might want to attend um and and i go through stages you know i'll often do something for a year at some depth mm. and then after a year move to something else and then there's other practices like yoga and meditation i've done my whole life because it's mm. good not always to skip around um so it's a complex equation and normally if somebody comes to me and says should i do karate or should i do five rhythms my first question is, what are you trying to build? Yeah. Either on a skill level, or we could look at it on a being level, like a slightly more abstract level. And then I say, okay, what are the opportunities? What are the threats? What are the, how much time do you have? 
you know, a businessman might only have, I'm coaching, might only have five minutes in the morning as he walks from the tube to his office. So I might give him a very simple walking practice. Whereas someone else, like there's a, I met like a 22 year old here at his party yesterday, he's just enthusiastic about embodiment. And I'm like, right, we're going to plan you 12 hours a week practice. Okay, let's build it up, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you've got kids or whatever, things change, things change. So in my own life, there has been that adjustment, movement, things come and go. Sometimes it's about discipline. Sometimes it's just about following joy. It's just, it's just really powerful. I don't think many people take the time to ask themselves that question of what do you want to build? Yeah, most people just deepen their neurosis. So, you know, you get really, you know, like, um, I, I had this insight a few years back. I was going to a yoga studio in London and they had two classes. They had a rocket yoga class, just like hardcore, the Stangerish kind of yang yoga. They had a yin yoga class, just much more soft and slow. And I walked, the rocket class was first. And it was always like Taipei personalities coming out of the city of London. I was like, guys, what are you doing? And then the yin class was all these like floaty feminine women. And I was just like, you guys need to swap classes. Yeah. Like you're in the wrong place. And sometimes it's good to just, you know, we all like the smell of our own brand, right? So sometimes sure. it's, it's good to just do what you love and fuck it, mm, who cares? Mm, mm. And, but other times it's like, no, I want to challenge myself. Like, yeah. you know, I, I do some slow, soft movement practices, which are not as a sort of testosterone fast yang guy, that they're not really my, they're not easy for me, but they're necessary. Mm, mm. Um, and, and again, are we, just trying to change our state or are you really trying to build a way of being because the average yoga class is really just pumping state and that that's nice it's nice to relax right or to feel energized or both but is that actually impacting the rest of our life like is our yoga class a holiday from our life and we all need a bloody holiday sometimes you know just 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 give me an hour to not think um, or is it skills building? Is it actually changing who we are, which is going to impact every area of our life? Because frankly, most things have pretty horrible transferability. Now, I know you had Matt Hill on who does Systema, and that's one of the things that really stresses daily life. Um, it's one of the reasons I like Systema. Um, but other things don't go into daily life very easily so you know we've got better at sort of integrating things and helping students integrate because it's that's the difference between a holiday or a state changer and a, and a true embodied practices i would see it yeah so what you're saying is it's not just a case of read the books wear yoga pants all the days order yourself a chai latte like <laughs> it's not that Green smoothies, yeah, you speak yeah. in a funny voice, <laughs> rename yourself, chakra yoga pants. I mean, no, I've been quite damning of the yoga world at times. Like, yeah, I've done yoga myself for, like since I was 16. But um, yeah, there's a lot of the affectations and the lifestyle factors. And also if everything gets recycled by sort of hardcore capitalism into yeah. just sort of more ways to screw people up. So, um, yeah. you know, things, I, I saw it like a yoga class for your glutes the other day. It was like a booty yoga class. And I just remember, I was like, look, there's nothing wrong with working on your glutes. You know, I go to a gym full of Brazilian girls doing exactly that. And there's no, you know, it's, it's very pleasant. Okay. However, that's not embodiment. That's exercise. Mm. So I think it's just being, it's about being honest. Mm. It's like, look, are you trying to get a nice ass so men like you on Instagram? All right. Or are you trying to get mindful? Or are you trying to work on your embodiment? And the answer people give sometimes is like, all of them, it's like, no, 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 no. The, the method we employ is dictated by the goal we want. 
So they are like when I'm doing chin ups, I'm not doing embodiment. I'm just doing exercise. And if I try to start trying to do embodiment, that takes away from my chin ups. So while to some extent they can be combined, I think it's really important we're honest what we're trying to do. And as I said before, that follows goal. Like, like what am I doing in my meditation? What, what am I actually trying to develop? What's the skill? Is it concentration? Is it body awareness? Is it I'm just trying to calm down for 10 minutes and take a break, which are all fine, but let's be really clear and really honest. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I guess, you know, let's just cut it straight then. It, what is the opposite of embodiment? Ooh, disconnection um, is a simple answer. Mm. So, and, and this is where it's, it gets deep and, and I don't want to get too political, but it's, Oh, if good. we if we cut off from ourselves, we're cut, yes. we're psychopathic. We're cut off from each other, yep. and we're cut off from the natural world, mm-hmm. um, and we're cut off from our values. Mm-hmm. Now these are profound problems. Now in a consumerist society, the powers that be might want us to not be in touch with our own values. Like I'm manipulatable, yeah. Or whether it by, by by Wall Street or. Yeah, and the lack and being like, you want this. It's like, like one of my students said to me yesterday, I want to earn a million pounds a year. I'm like, do you actually? Is that really what you want? Because I can't spend more than 100,000, 150,000. You know what I mean? It's like, it's only as beyond that. I don't know what I'm going to do, cocaine and Ferraris or something. Like, I don't know, you know? So it's, so it's like, what are your actual values? Like not knowing your values, like, that directs your life. And we can be at the mercy of other forces if we're not um not being in touch with each other you know the disembodiment i'm seeing at the moment is is showing as irritability mm-hmm. is showing as loneliness um is showing up as just people not treating each other so kindly mm-hmm. yeah that that dis that loneliness of there's someone who's on this technology all day long but doesn't know their neighbor's names mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I think it is profoundly important we don't disconnect and, you know, there are balancing factors, right? Like, you know, I don't give medical advice. There are balancing factors in terms of how much contact you want with others in the current times, blah, blah, blah. But there is a real consequence to not having contact, right? Like, like I went all day without a hug yesterday because I was working online. And I went to a party in the evening and there was a few friends there that I'd met over the last few weeks. I'm developing a kind of micro community here. And they gave me some hugs. And I immediately was just like, oh, just felt more human again. You know, and that was just from a day of not being hugged by being on my own, on my laptop, in, even in quite a nice place. Um, so I think there are profound problems with disconnection or disembodiment. So I don't see embodiment as like a, like a sort of um, lifestyle chic yoga pants nice to have. I see it as the essence of being human. Yeah. And if we live in a world where that's systematically or accidentally taken away, mm. the consequences to our well-being, to our ethics, to our values are huge. Yeah, I agree. And I was very fortunate enough to spend a bit of time with Dr. Bruce Lipton last night and uh, recording that's an cool. episode for the, for the show. And, you know, his work talks about how we are a community of 50 trillion cells and then the extension of, of us. We're supposed to be in community with other people and, 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 and we we suffer a lack of harmony within the body if, if we're not in, in community. And, um, and lo it's, basic. it's really basic. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason, um, there's a reason solitary confinement is a torture. And in a way, modern life is, is, is only this far off solitary confinement. 
you know, we have the illusion of not being in solitary confinement because I'm on Facebook and Zoom, right? I, I mean, yeah, yeah. We, got, we got our YouTube channel got taken down the other day after 13 million hits, and we have no idea why yet. It's probably because I said something that Silicon Valley doesn't agree with. I'm not sure what. I know I haven't said anything illegal. You know, I don't incite violence or anything. Um, I'm increasingly skeptical about technology industry. You know, as I said to my friend in yes. Google a few days ago, I said, hey, I won't say his name. Let's call him John. I said, hey, John, he's pretty senior in Google. I said, do you remember when you used to show us what we wanted and not what you wanted? And do you remember when social media was a way to be social and not a way to be hateful and angry? Uh, like these people are, their vested interests are not are us to be miserable yeah. or us to be stressed and disconnected. Yeah. Uh, and I just go, no, we're fighting a supercomputer every time you go on Facebook, mm. right? You're absolutely, you're fighting an algorithm that is developed by teams of geniuses and, and, and tested hundreds of thousands of A-B tested times. It's like we're up against like Cyberdyne systems, you know, the joke I always make to my friend in Google is like, he's making the next Terminator. And um, I, I think it, against that backdrop, we've got to be not just careful and not just have our practices. I think we need to fundamentally challenge some of the ways the world is moving. Because it's not a nice to have, as Bruce Lipton said, right? This is, we are wired for connection. Uh, Johan Ferrari's stuff on this is, is worth a read. Um, and I think we are heading towards a brick wall very fast. And it's become normal that we're living in this, this solitary confinement of technology. Another great person I've been inspired by the work of is Gabor Mate. And I know that he was recently an attendee at your, your conference, a speaker. What uh, wisdom are you taking from trauma? Yeah, I accidentally did therapy with him in front of 7,000 people. Um, like I was, I was interviewing him and he said, oh, do you want a demo? I was like, oh yeah, ended up, it was quite an intimate moment. Um, Gabor was great. He really brought in the social side of trauma. So I've worked in war zones, I've worked with kids in the favelas, I've worked with a lot of humanitarian aid workers, police, military. So trauma education's been a part of my life for a while. You know, I was into the band before they were cool, you know? Um, so trauma is disembodiment. It's getting cut off from your body because of overwhelming experience. Mm. And there's loads I can say on this topic. We've done whole conferences on this topic, but we all have some trauma mm -hmm. that shouldn't be used to belittle the people who have really been through it though. You know, people have abuse backgrounds or war veterans. We all have some disconnection from overwhelming experience. And what I would, I think my own personal take on this is leaning away from the normal pathology model. So the normal model is, as the word trauma sounds like we're screwed up. And there certainly are people who I think it's better to say that they have a pathology than they're sort of morally weak or something, right? So step up from that. But often trauma really is giving people superpowers. It's giving people a set of unique skills. You know, let's say you came from a really difficult household and you learn to really uh, be fierce or someone else learned to be really funny as a way of diffusing danger and tension. Someone else, like one of my colleagues, got very sensitive and she's very tuned into how people are feeling and that comes from her childhood. Um, so the problem really isn't what we think of as the, sim the symptoms. The problem is the lack of other skills. 
right? So if we look at trauma through a skills-based model as opposed to a pathology model, sometimes, as I said, pathology model is useful. You know, someone's screaming nightmares every night. Okay, PTSD, great. Diagnosis, looking at treatment, and there's great treatments out there, like EMDR and all sorts of somatic treatments. But I think for many of us who are sort of normally neurotic, I'd put me and you in that category, right? Like we're functional, but we're not perfect. Um, looking at it through a skills model of what skills do we have that are supercharged from trauma, trauma, the traumatic event never being good, but the traumatic adaptation being helpful to, to the rest of life. And then what skills do we have that are lacking? So someone might be really open, but have terrible boundaries or the other way around, right? They might have really good firm boundaries and be really good at saying no right? That's the sort of cultural one I have from my Irish heritage. You know, like sometimes if a COVID measure is in place that I think silly, my sort of Irish cultural trauma comes up and I'm yeah. like, fuck that, we're not doing it. We're not obeying <laughs> the English. You know, it, 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 it kind of comes out. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, this is where we have to be careful where trauma is like <laughs> the past being lived in the future, yeah. whether it be personal or cultural, you know, ancestral. And there are good treatments out there. So I just say if people have a trauma background, greater or lesser extent you know i'm more or less in a functional marriage i'm more or less run a functional business i'm pretty healthy you know i, I came from you know i've been to multiple war zones and had an unpleasant childhood mm -hmm. so it's like this hope is what i just want any listeners out there to think and um you won't ever become normal but you will become wonderfully weird as opposed to neurotically weird yeah i love that and, and i think one thing that's helped me is is understanding big T trauma, little T trauma. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, so often we paint an image of, of what trauma might look like and understanding mm, that actually sometimes mm. it's just little moments that, you know, as, as Gabor would say, where life makes it hard just to be ourselves. So we disconnect in, in this small little way. And I look back at my life and, you know, I remember specifically the age of 12, mum separating from stepdad crying on yeah, me. Yeah. I, I, man of the house at that point probably right. you know and, and that skyrocketed yeah. my empathy you know in terms right. of if we're, if we're looking at my journey like that is a key moment and i look back at that and think wow like it doesn't have to be significant shall we say abuse physical emotional um is anything overwhelming and that's yeah. a good example because at that age, you weren't really read the bit of the man of the house because you were yeah. part, right? Yeah. So, it, so a child is very under-resourced. So it's, it's, it, what's overwhelming is not just the stimulus, it's the perceived stimulus and the perceived ability to cope. So mm. example is I, I went for a, had a, I was hanging out with a gay friend of mine at the weekend and he was talking about his trauma. He said, look, I was never bullied for being gay. I grew up in Canada in a very liberal place. So, you know, I was never abused for it. I said, I said, yeah, but when you first realized you were gay, what was it like? He said, oh, I was terrified. He said, you know, it's got erections around men and I was 11, 12 years old. And he said he was completely overwhelmed by the sensation. He felt guilty and he felt disgusting. And he, no one attacked him. No one beat him up. Just in, he traumatized himself, as it were, with no blame here, in his own head, just by being overwhelmed as an 11, 12-year-old, having these feelings that he couldn't control um, and that he was judging himself for. So you might go, he had no physical abuse, he had no bullying, whatever, he's never had a homophobic attack, but he, he's traumatized mm. just from realizing he was as gay, it was perfectly normal, natural thing, right? But like, mm -hmm. and that could be, you didn't have to be gay. I mean, do you remember puberty? 
right? Like there's plenty of times I was like, I'm overwhelmed, I can't cope. This is like falling in love at 16 or being dumped for the first time. There's plenty of things that are like that little T overwhelm mm. that we smile at now because now we're grown up, we're grown men. Mm. And we go, I could handle that now. You know, what was, you know, but at the time you couldn't. Mm. Um, so there's, there's, we all have these and sometimes they're little and cumulative, sometimes they're big things. And um, if trauma affects societies in huge ways, you know, I spent a lot of time in Russia, a lot of time in Israel, mm. and you cannot understand Russian or Jewish society without understanding trauma. Like yeah. what's going on now in like how Britain and America are responding to Russia and their foreign policy, mm. boy, do they need a lesson in trauma mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, Russian feel, Russia feels threatened. It's got NATO on its borders. Now, you could say, hey, that's illogical, or blah, 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 you know, that's, it's like, no, they've been invaded by Hitler, by Napoleon, by Genghis Khan, they feel surrounded, because they've got bases all around them, you don't want to make traumatized people feel scared and surrounded, and they're never going to admit they feel scared, because they're fucking Russian, and part of their trauma response is not having vulnerability, is having vulnerability issues as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's Ukrainian. I, I know this situation inside out. Mm-hmm. I've been to Russia mm-hmm. 20 plus times. I speak some mm-hmm. Russian. And it's like, if you want to understand culture, if you want to understand intimacy, if you're in a, if you're in a partnership with someone that comes from a traumatized mm-hmm. culture, you need to understand this stuff. I think it's just basics we should mm-hmm. all learn in school, frankly. And yeah. The world will be a lot kinder place when, when this is common knowledge. But well, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I spent a lot of my career in the UK police service and... Right. And um, again, a lot, a vast majority of the um, the people who apply to become police officers have some form of adverse childhood experience and some level of trauma, um, and then go on to become, you know, fully fledged police officers. And and there, there will naturally be a a consequence to that, and the way that right. they show up, and the way that they uh, perform their duties, shall we say? I like I like training the police. I find the police eminently trainable and pragmatic. Um, far easier than doctors, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, think who wants to protect others? Probably someone who has felt vulnerable himself. Mm. You know, if I look at the police through the sort of the, the kindest light, you know, the idea of protecting people mm. um, who, you know, it's an authority figure role. So if you're in the police, you've probably got some issue with authority coming in if you want to be a policeman. And that, again, it doesn't have to be bad, but there's something going on there. And then you're going to have projected upon you as a policeman. Like, I had a mate that was a policeman and this shit he had projected upon him by everybody else. All their bloody authorities. This is like, this is like key trauma stuff because it's yeah. normally someone in authority who abuses us. A parent, a teacher, mm-hmm. a scout leader, a priest, just to use a random example. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so, so these so often trauma and authority issues go together. So, yeah, like, and I think... It also helps you be sympathetic. Like if you understand trauma and you see someone behaving, let's use a technical term like a total dickhead. Um, if you understand that they feel threatened, if you understand that they're in hyper arousal mm-hmm. and they're in fight or flight, you know, I remember my police officer mate saying, to "Someone, is there anything I can say or do to calm you down or before you make this decision?" You know, it's a classic sort of policeman training, like, and you could see the guy he was talking to was gone he was in full sympathetic arousal. It's like logic was not getting through to him at that mm. point. So this is where it's really helpful to, to know that. And the, I think the, the good police that I've seen, like good leaders are one who, ones who 
we have the best police in the world in England, let's be honest. I always mm -hmm. say heaven is British police and Chinese food, not the other way around. Um, like, is a, is a leader or a policeman or a coach, in my case, who understands the nervous system? Mm. Right? Is this employee listening to me? Or do they just need some love? Mm -hmm. Is this employee in a freeze response so they're not really taking on the task I'm asking them to do? You know, mm. are we in rest, digest, and connect as a team so we can actually bond rather than being in fight or flight the whole time? Is my child actually in a state where they can listen or are they just defensive? Like this is embodied sensitivity to others. Mm. I love that. Mark, I, I could. You're on time, huh? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, Flies I could, by. I could speak to you all day about this topic. It's fascinating as a, as a depth of wisdom that I still have yet to untap. But uh, where can our listeners, where can our watchers connect with you, find out more about the great work that you do? Yeah, loads of good stuff. Embodimentunlimited.com. Lots of free stuff there. Um, so it's different. You know, my first book, they can buy it off Amazon, but they can get a free PDF there, for example. Um, so various books on Amazon, if people like reading. I have a podcast. Guess what it's called? The Embodiment Podcast. Um, if you just shout the word embodiment into the sky, my stuff will come back. Um, but you know, whether it's Amazon or Google or podcasts or hopefully YouTube again, if they un unban us, um, but they're the main ones I'd say, but the, we often have free events. So if people go to embodimentunlimited.com, there's loads of free stuff. We have free classes uh, regularly with embodiment teachers. My attitude, both from a sort of making the world better and a good marketing point of view is give lots of stuff away. And then people can decide if it's their cup of tea or not. I share that heart. What does the phrase always better than yesterday mean to you? <sighs> Two levels. So more academically, generally, just a sort of the Kaizen level of, of mm -hmm. actually continuously improving what you're doing mm -hmm. and having a learner mindset rather than a I know mindset. Like I still get feedback off my team when I'm, you know, I'm teaching later today in front of a few thousand people. The guy who's hosting me, the first question I'll ask after is, how did I do? What can be improved? What was good? What can be improved? So that's generally, um, what does it mean to me personally? Being a bit kinder, like even with all the sort of embodied practices, like I'm not trying to be enlightened, but for me, it's like, I've been really struggling the last few weeks just to be a slightly nicer boss because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm aware that a, a boss can really make someone's life miserable and I feel like a big responsibility and I've been doing a little bit better I think at that and for me it's often about making sure I'm well slept and well fed like I had a smoothie during this podcast because my yeah. blood sugar was a bit low it can be as simple as that yep. and for me being a bit better is being a bit of a kind of boss so that the 20 stressed people who've got god knows what going on in their life that work with me don't have me as one more problem Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for your time. We'd be honoured if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Ah, final thought. So, all right, rather than the final thought, let me offer a final practice. So wherever you are listening to this, notice what posture you're in, what breathing pattern you're in, what movement style you're in. You don't need to be an expert, but just notice like, how are you sitting, how are you standing, how are you walking? And is that how you want to be? If it's not, do something different. Love it. Practical. Great takeaway. My friend, thank you for your time. Brian, real pleasure, mate. Really enjoyed it. Do we say namaste? Like... <laughs> <laughs> say cheers, mate. <laughs>
<laughs> Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.